with, you know, people that are poor in spirit. In other words, this recognition that on our own that we're destitute. Right? That without Jesus, that we're impoverished spiritually. And so when we discover that, then we, we have this realization, this recognition that we need him. And so ours is the kingdom of heaven. And then he said for those that are mourning, and that almost seems like a contradiction that you can be happy when you mourn. But again, the, uh, the thing that he, he meant there was, was that the mourning was not just our earthly mourning, but also just when we first discover our need for Jesus, kind of the mourning or the repentance of our sin, the turning away from that. And then he talked about those um, who, uh, he's, then he said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, one of the reasons why I think we struggle with the word meek, why, when I say, look, I'm going to talk about meekness tonight and how that will impact your world and impact your walk with God, is because for maybe most of us, we have an idea of what we think it means, but we, we're really not sure. And we kind of have this idea of meekness as something that's really kind of soft and just, you know, and I know as a man, just the thought of that, if, if that's the way you describe meekness, my, you know, I kind of naturally just kind of repel, you know, repels me. I'm like, you know, I'm a guy, I don't really want to be soft, you know what I mean? And, you know, it's just, it doesn't, there's nothing, nothing about it that just kind of attracts me to it. But we really misunderstand it when we think that's the definition. And so I want to give you the definition of the word meekness. The Greek word is actually the word praus, and it was used, they used this to define a horse trained for battle. Wild stallions were brought down from the mountains and broken for riding. When they brought these wild stallions down, they were incredible creatures. They, they were known by their strength and by their speed and by their power. And so they'd, they'd bring them down untrained from the mountains. They'd begin to put them through all sorts of work and begin to train them. They, they didn't stop feeding them to make them weaker. They didn't, you know, they didn't do anything to try to handicap them. No, no, no. They, they wanted them in their full strength. Everything that they had as a wild animal, they wanted, they wanted it to utilize it. But this is what would happen, is that, that they, would, they would use some to pull wagons, some were raced, but the best were trained for warfare. They retained, their, they retained their fierce spirit, courage, and power, but were disciplined to respond to the slightest nudge or pressure to the rider's leg. They could gallop into battle at 35 miles per hour, and come to a sliding stop at a word. They were not frightened by arrows, spears, or torches. Then they were said to be meeked. To be meeked was to be taken from a state of wild rebellion and made completely loyal to and dependent upon one's master. And so when we talk about meekness from this standpoint, that one of the reasons why we can be happy, you know, happier the meek, and they'll inherit the earth is because what it really means is not, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is submitted or surrendered strength. That we, we surrender our will, we surrender who we are to our master. And the more surrendered we are to him, the more fit for battle and for the things that he's called us to do. You know, so many times, man, when we think about people being fitted for things, we think about gifts and different things like that. Like, I listen to the worship team up here tonight. Man, you guys have a great worship team, don't you? I mean, reading those guys, they do a great job. And We're back in the speaker's room, and I'm hearing them singing, man. And I mean, my spirit's being stirred up. I, I could sense God's presence back there just as, you know, as worship was taking place. You know, I knew it, was, I knew it wasn't Pastor Sean. I had to be worshiping. So it was just one of those things that... <laughs> Sorry, man. I can't get off. Anyway... But anyway, seriously, man, it was just so good. It was, but, you know, here these people have these gifts, 
that they could use them for anything. And, and they didn't become worse musicians or worse vocalists in order to be used for God. No, it was, we, we, their talent and their ability just continued to be developed, but it began to be surrendered to someone other than their own agenda and their own needs. And it was exceptional. And so we learn over and over again that God doesn't begin with ability. He begins with availability. You can have all the ability in the world, but if you're not available, then you don't respond to the calling of God. And meekness is being available and surrendered to the purpose and plan of God. And so it says, you know, again, when it says this, it says, for they shall become, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Well, when you think about inheriting the earth, and you think about an inheritance, you know, often in our walk with God, we talk about, you know, man, we just got to trust God. I really, I really want to trust God. But the truth of the matter is, is that as important as that is, is that when we operate in meekness, in other words, we're surrendered to our master with the gifts and strengths that we have, that at that moment, we're no longer talking about just trusting God because it takes that for us to do that. But there's also something else that's revealed, and that is we're revealing to God that he can trust us. You know, so many things we want to do for God, but I remember I heard Joyce Meyer say this one time that she was praying. She said, man, Lord, I just want to reach people, you know, help me to reach more people. And she said the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, you understand for every person that I let you reach, that's another individual that you can hurt. And so he was revealing to her that I want to trust you with these people, but uh, I mean, I want, uh, you know, I want, want to help you reach more people, but I have to be able to trust you with them. And so when we operate in meekness, we're, we're saying to God, you can trust me with your stuff, with your things, with your treasure, with your resources, with your calling. You can trust me with that. I, I want to be trustworthy with it. And again, you know, none of us walk in perfection, that, you know, and we're growing and, and that type of thing. But there's just something about a surrendered heart that can be seen even in our brokenness. And so when we do that, when we surrender that, it just makes ourselves available. You know, sometimes in families, People, you know, they write wills and, you know, and sometimes they may not divide it up evenly. They'll look at the child that they can trust the most, you know, they trust it with the most. And, and because of that, then they're given, they're given uh, access to more than any of the others because they know they can trust them when they're not around. You know, it's a little bit different than with me with my kids. Sometimes when I've gotten under them, I'm like, you keep that up and you'll get none of our bills when you die. But the... Um, <laughs> But, you know, a lot of times with an inheritance, we do that. Well, Jesus right here, he said that the meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. And, and so there's just something about being able to trust that. In Matthew 26, verse 52, you don't have to turn there, but it says this. You know, Jesus, he had just gotten arrested. And when he did, um, Peter uh, cut off the high priest's servant. He cut off his ear. Now, I kind of like Peter. I identify with him. He reminds me of myself sometimes. He's talking when he should be listening. He's cutting off people's ears when he should be watching what's going on. I mean, I, you know, I identify with that guy. And so he cut his ear off, and, um, you know, I've kind of pictured that. I don't know, you know, if the ground was like dewy, and Jesus had to go pick the guy's ear up and kind of knock the grass off or whatever. He attached it back to his head, but he said, put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Now listen to this. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us? And he would send them instantly? In other words, he said, I have at my disposal one of the resources I could do is I could get myself out of this. But because he was meek, 
He was surrendered to the Father's plan. He didn't do that. Matter of fact, he goes on to say here, but if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Meekness is a place that God can trust us. It's a place that we're not at our weakest, but our strength is the most surrendered. It's a place, not, not where we show up and, and we're at our poorest, but the thing that we value most, the thing that we have our disposal that, that really you know, credits us, that we are proud of, that we look at and that we, wanna, we just want to show and let the whole world see that meekness is a place that takes that thing and says, God, this is yours to use. And when it's used for him, then it's used for such great things. So number one is meekness is a place God can trust. Look at me, if you would, in 1 Samuel 19. Again, if you're learning where in the Bible, it's like it's in the Old Testament. It's, that's 1 Samuel's the ninth book of the Bible. So you'll start at Genesis and you'll keep turning. If you get to 2 Samuel, you went too far. So anyway... I learned that in Bible school. First Samuel 19. So there was a guy named David, and he, you know, he'd been called to be king, and it surprised his family, it surprised everybody. And then many of you have heard of the situation with him and a guy named Goliath. And David killed Goliath. Goliath was this huge giant. He was a warrior that had this reputation that it extended beyond his own people. Not just his size was enormous, but his reputation was huge. People knew about him. He wasn't just some big guy that kind of wandered around or whatever. He was fierce. And David stood in front of him one day and killed him and slew Goliath and gave victory to his people. And so God was continuing to exalt David in his people's eyes. But Saul, a guy named Saul was king and he viewed David as a threat. So we're going to pick up with that. 1 Samuel 19 verse 8. And it says this war broke out again after that. And David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with a spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came, up, came upon him again. And as David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear, everybody say leaving the spear. And leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. This is such an incredible picture right here that you have David who has honored Saul, honored his position that, you know, was viewed as a hero among his own people and had not done anything wrong. But Saul in his insecurity was a spear thrower. You got any spear throwers in your life? Right? We all have them, right? I mean, not literal spears. Hopefully you don't have anybody sitting home with a literal spear. But I mean, they've, that, that just that they, they come at you. In their insecurities, they talk about you. In their insecurities, they say things about you or do things to you, disrespect you. And all of us at different times in our life, different seasons in our life, we have people that throw spears at us. I think it's interesting, David, this great warrior that took down a giant that Saul, who was king, was afraid to face. That when he threw a spear at David, David dodged out of the way and the spear stuck in the wall. Do you know what my response is usually when people throw spears at me and it's stuck in the wall? I take the spear out of the wall and throw it back. Right? Don't be throwing spears at me, man. I'll throw a spear back at you. And I'm going to try not to miss. 
And then we're talking figuratively, not literally, okay? So, but here's the thing, is that with David right here, when that happened, he left the spear in the wall, and it says that he left. He ran away. This great young warrior that God was exalting in the eyes of a nation, when a spear was thrown at him, his response was not to throw it back. And David showed us something right here, that another thing about meekness is that meekness gives up the right to defend itself. Meekness is so surrendered that it doesn't enter into battles that the master doesn't call it to fight. And so many times I think one of the great distractions that the enemy uses on us is to pull us into battles that we were never intended to be a part of. You know, sometimes we enter into battle because people that we love are involved or because a cause that we love is involved in. And sometimes we enter because it's very personal. But there's just something about the Spirit of God that, that we were, you know, that there's certain battles that we were created to fight. But I just think about how the enemy does this, that he, you know, that he tries to get us distracted with these different things. You know, and one of his tricks is to get us to fight the wrong battle. You know, to get mad at our spouse, our kids, our neighbor, our coworker, our pastor. He'll even get you to get mad at God if he can. And distract you from what God has for you, distract us from what God has for us. There was another time, I mentioned this a few minutes ago, in 1 Samuel 17, wherever David was getting ready to fight Goliath. But before he fought Goliath, he was, he, you know, he was there to bring his brother's food to find out you know, how the battle was going and go back to report to his father. So he didn't know that Goliath was there. And so he hears Goliath challenging them. Challenging the children of Israel. And he finds out, look, man, he says, you know, whoever kills Goliath will get to marry the king's daughter, will get a lot of money, and his family will be free from taxes. And so probably since he was a teenage boy, they could have stopped right with, you get to marry the king's daughter. It could have stopped right there, but they gave, you know, other things. And so, you know, he hears this, and he goes and he turns to ask somebody else. And when he asks somebody else in verse 28, it says this, Now Eliab, his older brother, Oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Why would he bring that up? Why would he bring up those few sheep in the wilderness? I mean, doesn't it sound to you like he's trying to shame David? Trying to disqualify him? Trying to make his voice seem insignificant? Be condescending to him? We've all had that happen, right? We've been around people and, and they talk down to us. They try to diminish our role. Try to diminish the value of the situation that you're in. Man, it's very challenging. It's, there's something about it that if, if our heart's too open to that, it can really wound us. And I think about what David's response could have been. I mean, it's his brother. They probably tussled before. He could have got in this big conflict and, and you know, and, and who knows who, how that situation would have came out. And, but at the end of the day, you know, that, you know, he'd have been like, you know, going, you know, leaving. Hey, I'm telling dad when I get back, he's going to hear what an idiot you were to me. But instead, this was his response. He said, who have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride in the instance of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him. Then he turned from me. He didn't stay and engage. That wasn't his fight. That wasn't his battle. He could have missed the opportunity that God was giving him and gotten distracted by the battle that his brother was presenting him. But he turned from him. 
says he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. We just have spears thrown at us and, and engage in one battle after another. There's another guy named Nehemiah, man. I like this guy. He was captive in uh, you know, another land, and, and he asked about his homeland, and, and he found out that the wall had been torn down in Jerusalem. And so he goes back, he gets permission to go back and rebuild the wall. And so he's committed. He knows what his purpose is. He knows what his plan is. But there were a couple of guys there by the name of Sanballat and Gershom, or Geshem that were constantly trying to harass him. And so they would, they would say things to him to try to challenge him. And one day, they sent a message to him. Asking, they, said, they sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied, listen to this, by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work. Everybody say great work. I am engaged in a great work. Say great work again. You're engaged in a great work. I'm engaged in a great work. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I'll just tell you, man, time and time again. I kind of went through one of those situations the last week or so. Where just things are happen, happening, and you know, my personality, maybe this isn't you, but I always want to be understood, and if I feel like things are being said about me where I'm being misunderstood or I'm not being represented accurately... Man, I just, you know, I, you know, I want to use every platform I have. I want to say something to the microphone. I want to get on Facebook because I know how impactful and effective that is. And so, you know, just all of those things to just explain myself. And it's just so easy, man. You can get caught up in so many things. We can get caught up in so many things. But then I have to remind myself, I'm going to stay on the wall because I'm engaged in a great work. This is a distraction from the great work that God has called me to do. That spear is a distraction from the great work that God has called me to do. That talking down to me and condescending and trying to minimize my voice is a great distraction from the work that God has called me to do. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Like I said, man, so many times I want to defend myself. I want to speak up. I want to say things, and in Isaiah 54, 17, many of you have heard it before, especially the first part of it. It says this, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But a lot of times we don't read the rest of it, and this is what the rest of it says. In that coming day, no weapon turned against you will prosper or succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. That the weapon it's talking about are what people say about you. The words that they use against you. And in our pride... Or in our own insecurity, we can defend ourselves and get engaged in these huge battles that distract us from what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be. And, and yet we're engaged in this work, and if, if we trust God, I've had to confess this over my life over and over again. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Every voice raised up to accuse me will be silenced. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Man, we make it personal like this. We face the meekness test on a regular basis, right? And I mean, sometimes, you know, it's really noble causes, really big things and stuff like that. But I mean, almost on a daily basis, I don't know about you, but at least weekly, I have an opportunity to do it. You know, and sometimes it's not a person in church. It's, it's not a person that's, you know, that I run into in the community. You know, sometimes I get the opportunity to face my, the meekness test with my wife. Sometimes, you know, we... We have disagreements. 
And so we have conversations where our tones are a bit elevated. If you were there, you may call it a fight. But I mean, you know, it's whatever it is, it is. And, you know, there have been times, you know, I call it the Sunday morning miracle. You know, when you're driving to church and you're like. <laughs> and you pull in the parking lot. <laughs> you shut the door. <laughs> right? Anybody here ever had the Sunday morning miracle? <laughs> I'm not going to ask who had the Wednesday night miracle tonight. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I first started doing student ministry, and we, we, had this, we had this conversation, this disagreement. We had a huge fight before the service started. And so I'm up there, and I'm getting ready to speak to all these teenagers, and I kind of lean over, and I go, Tina, Tina. Psst. She's sitting next to me. Psst, Tina. And she looks at me with, those, with that non-loving look in her eye. And I said, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I did, I apologize. You're like, man, what's humility? And she goes, you're just saying that because you're getting ready to get up and preach. <laughs> I said, you're right. <laughs> we have that, right? We have that, we have that, that meekness test then that, that we get a chance, you know, and and we can blow it, you know, with our own spouses. I, you know, the, I, I just, I just fin I'm finishing up a series this weekend on the Beatitudes. And one of the reasons I chose this message because it's impacted me personally the most. And what's wild is, is that, you know, the Sunday before I was supposed to do this, before I was supposed to share this, on a Saturday night, I was gonna, we were going to watch the Packers play in the playoffs. And I was raised a Green Bay Packer fan. I live in Oklahoma where, like, every other person is a Dallas Cowboy fan. And that's unfortunate. They need to get saved. But here's the thing. Yeah, and so, right? So, uh, and I know Pastor Troy would agree with that. But here, here's the thing, is that, I, so we were going to get food, and we live in Claremore. Sometimes it's confused with Claremont, but we live in Claremore. And so, there's, there's, a, <laughs> there's, there's a place called Owasso that's like 15 or 20 minutes from us. And typically, we do business in our own community, but I thought tonight, they had this wing place that was pretty good, so I thought... So we got together with one of our kids and, their, and her husband and our grandkids. And so, so we said, well, we're going to order food. So she called it in, and I go over and get it. And so I pull into the first place, and we have two places. One's called Wings to Go, and the other's called Wing Stop. Well, I went to Wings to Go, and they didn't have our food. And the reason why they didn't have our food is because she ordered it from Wing Stop. So I had to get in the car, which made me a few minutes late. When I got over to Wing Stop, I went in, and I, I said, yeah, my name is you know, Rick Burke, and I'm here. I probably had a Cedar Point shirt on because that's the way it usually goes. And that's the name of our church. And so I said, I'm here to pick up our, our, our chicken wings. And so she said, what's the name again? I said, well, it's either under Rick or Ashley. That's our daughter's name. And so they were looking, and I could tell by the look on their face that their level of panic was starting to rise. And so they're kind of looking around, and then she'd come out and kind of look at me again. What's, what's the name again? So it's either, either Rick or Ashley. And she'd go back and look again, and she'd go back in the kitchen, and I could see them talking. They're kind of talking, looking back at me, and, you know, and so finally, after a few minutes, she came out and she said, we gave your food away. And I said, okay. And so I kind of waited there for like what plan B was. <laughs> and I said, so, she said, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry we gave your food away. And I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking, does she want me to drive to their house and eat with them? I don't know who these people are. <laughs> and so, <laughs> it gets worse on my end. And so, so. You know, I call up my daughter and I said, hey, you know, she said, yeah, I put it under this name and she sent me, you know, she'd paid for it online, sent it to me. And so I said, you know, here it is. I said, oh man, I'm just, I'm really sorry that we gave you food away. I said, well, you keep saying that. And I, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? And she said, well, 
I guess we could make it for you again. And I'm like, okay. I said, how long are we talking? And she said, oh, probably 20 minutes. So, and I'm, I'm, I tell you, I was preaching on meekness the next day. And so here's the thing. So I, I get on the phone with my daughter and I said, hey, look, you know, and now I'm being a little, a little loud. I'm not, I'm not being, you know, like, I'm not being like yelling loud, but I'm being just enough, enough of an idiot for everybody to know that I'm being an idiot. And so, so I said, yeah, uh, you know, they had the food ready. I guess they're going to make us some more. And I said, all that stuff happens. I said, you know, uh, they haven't apologized yet, but I'm sure that's coming. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> that, that's me. And so, and the girl heard it, which I was glad. I, I didn't want to have to say it again because I intended for her to hear it. And she said, somebody took it. And I'm like, Yes, because you gave it to them. And so I got back on the phone. And so <laughs> you're like, we moved to Claremore. Otherwise known as Claremont. We're never going to that church again. So so <laughs> so I said, you keep saying that. You keep saying that. And, and why did you do that? I don't know. I don't know why we gave it. You know, they just asked for it. And I'm like, Okay. So anyway, it wasn't 20 minutes. It was like 35 minutes later, they, they bring our food out there. <laughs> and again, with my, my like Cedar Point Man of God shirt on, I said, um, hey, could I, could I talk to the manager? And she kind of looks at me and she goes, okay, just a minute. And so she goes back there and I see there's like four or five of them and they're talking and they're kind of looking at me, you know? And I told my oldest son, I said, I was smiling. He said, yeah, but I've seen you in that mood before. And when you smile, you're kind of like Jack Nicholson from The Shining. I mean, that's kind of. <laughs> so, so you know, I'm, I'm trying to be kind. So finally, she comes out and she goes, we don't have a manager on duty tonight. And I said, who's in charge? So then she goes back in the kitchen and they're talking again, and I'm like, they keep looking at me, and they're like, they're trying to find out who the sacrificial lamb is going to be tonight. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, about this time, you know, the Holy Spirit's telling me, like, you're talking about meekness tonight. And my flesh is going, meekness, schmeekness. You know what I mean? That's kind of how I was feeling. <laughs> and so finally, they send this girl out, and I'm pretty confident. It's probably like her first day at work. They're like, you've been here the shortest. You get to deal with this dude out here, Okay. So she comes out, and I'm like, hey, you guys gave my order away, and it was a mistake and an accident, and it happens, right? I mean, we, if I worked here, I'd make those mistakes, too. That was a mistake, right? Yes, it was. I said, well, and I get that. I said, and I don't want free food. Don't give me a coupon for, you know, 20% off the next time I come in, or we'll make sure your food is not given away to somebody next time kind of deal. I mean, I don't want any of that. I just, I just want an apology. I just, you know, I just need to hear somebody just say, I'm sorry. You think that's too much? And she, and she was so sweet. She was meek. I she should be teaching this lesson right now. And so she goes, sir, I'm, I'm really sorry. You're right. You know, we should have done better. You deserve that. And I was still irritated enough. I, I said, I was, very, I was kind to her back. And I said, thank you. I guess that's just really, that just meant a lot to me. But I, I was still in the flesh just enough that as I'm walking out, I look at the rest of the customers. I go, good luck. And so I, I left. <laughs> and... I know, uh, yeah, I obviously need prayer, but, but you know, man, as I, I left, I just, I, and I thought, it, I, you know, I thought, I mean, the Lord really began to deal with me. He's like, there was nothing about me demonstrated in that. You use everything that there is about you for your own purpose, 
None of it was surrendered to my plan. And what's even worse is like the next week or two, the Beatitudes talk about mercy. And I, and I thought, I've always thought that I'm kind of a merciful guy that I have a gift of mercy. And the Holy Spirit said, go ask those people if you have it. <laughs> because here's what I realize is that when we don't operate in meekness, man, often our insecurities are showing, our own selfishness, our own agenda. But somewhere in that evening, I lost sight of God's plan for me over chicken wings. Right? I mean, somebody had accidentally thrown a spear in my direction. And I got the spear, and before I threw it, I stabbed him like 17 or 18 times with my words. And we, we just missed that. There wasn't anything strong about what I did. It was the opposite of meekness, and yet there was no strength in it whatsoever. I could have used those words, that communication, to carry out the plan and purpose of God and to encourage them. I was so frustrated, was there's no justification that. I mean, matter of fact, I should have known that even in my frustration, it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. And so many times we get distracted by the wrong fight that, that you know, who knows what maybe God wanted to do that night. I, again, I think about David when his older brother was condescending to him, trying to make his voice sound like it didn't matter and was unimportant. He could have gotten distracted and missed the very thing that God was trying to do in his life to elevate him in the eyes of a nation. But he refused to let an insecure family member distract him from his plan, that God's plan for his life, or distract him for the reason why God was there. He, he knew better that even when he saw Saul and his brokenness, that he'd never sit in the chair that Saul was occupying. And so he knew that how he responded to Saul was going to determine what would happen to him when he occupied that chair someday. But he could have become a spear thrower too, but he would have given away to a legacy of spear throwers in his own world. And he didn't want that to get in the way of what God had called him to do. And, and I think about those times. And of course, there's other times where you have those moments and you operate in meekness. And it doesn't feel weak at all. It feels like you're fully surrendered to the plan of God. And it's amazing to see what God does in our world when that takes place. I just have to be surrendered. I just have to put my agenda aside. I have to be okay with being misunderstood. I have to be okay with being taken advantage of. I have to be okay with somebody, their insecurity being threatened by me for whatever reason. For them letting me down. I have to be okay with that. And not get so tangled up in conflict that I completely miss what it is that God wants to do in my life. I'm engaged in a great work. There's sometimes people want me to fight with them. I, I can't get off, the, I'm engaged in a great work. I can't get off the wall and come fight with you. I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. This is the work I'm engaged with. Pastor Rick, are you saying there's never any battles? No, there's battles we're called to. I just want to be fighting the right ones. The devil wants to distract me. He knows that in us that we have this warrior part of us. We can be fighting for our own cause, fighting against our own securities, fighting for our own reasons, our own purposes, and completely miss out on the plan of God. Because there's a battle he has for us. Sometimes it's the one that requires us to fight for our marriage. Sometimes it's one that requires us to fight for our kids, to fight for our families, to fight for our church, to fight for our nation, to fight for the different things that we're given. And if the enemy can distract us and cause us to use all of our energy, all of our resources to fight these other things, then he's won not by defeating us, 
He's won because we failed to show up to the fight we were called to. We're called to do that. If you're taking notes, number two is this. Meekness gives up the right to defend itself. We'll close with this. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Then Jesus said, come unto me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And the King James says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek. Everybody say meek. Jesus said, I'm meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest under your souls. Man, if we're constantly in conflict, constantly using all of our energy, every resource that we have, and and then when we're in a battle, it just I remember as a kid, we'd strap on boxing gloves as kids, and I'd be like, I'm like, I, I just can't wait to punch this guy. And we would, we would get out there, and, and we would just, you know, we just kind of waylay each other. And after about a minute, man, I couldn't hardly lift my arms. I, mean, I feel like I had to, like, bring my arm up to hit the guy. Or other, all I can do now is, like, headbutt him. That's the only thing I got energy for. Because it just takes so much energy to fight. But Jesus said that when we come to him and we take his yoke upon us, that he'll give us rest, that his yoke is easy, and he's lowly in heart, and we'll find rest for our souls. Here's the beautiful thing about meekness is meekness is the place we find rest. It's the place we find rest. If you're exhausted, maybe part of it is because you spend all of your time fighting the wrong battle. That you're engaged in the wrong things. And it may feel so noble. And sometimes it may not feel noble at all. Maybe it's your own insecurity. Sometimes that can take us there. But for all of us to get to a place where Jesus said, take my yoke. Back then, the yoke that they had with the, the teachers, they were known by their teachers. And each teacher, what his teaching was, was a yoke that they would live by. So when he talked about yoke, his yoke was his teaching. He's like, if you'll take the things I'm saying to you upon you, they're light. They're not heavy. They'll give you rest. I'm meek. My strength is restrained. I could be unsafe, but I'm not. I'm safe for you to come to. You'll find rest for your souls. Meekness is a place we find happiness regardless of our happenings. Because we're in the battles that give us purpose. We're surrendered to the one that made us. And we're walking and yoked up with the one who gives us rest. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I want to, I want to do a couple of things as we close this. One is, is that if you're here today and you just feel like that maybe you've gotten distracted in your world, there's some things going on in your world and, and the enemies use it to distract you. And sometimes we're not in the wrong battle, but we're using the wrong weapons. But you just know that, that you're either using the wrong weapons or you're in the wrong battle and you've got distracted from the one that God has called you to fight. If that's you, I, I just want you to raise your hand right now and I just want to pray for you. Just keep your hand up for a moment if you would. I just want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray for each person that has their hand raised. I pray that the Holy Spirit would give them direction. Lord, help them to know what to do. Give them wisdom.
Let their will just sense this surrender, this release, this bowing in the presence of Jesus. Let this weight, let this weight of being drawn into a fight that isn't theirs be lifted. Be lifted. Let the breath of the Holy Spirit breathe upon them and give them new direction to re-engage the thing that you've called them to engage in. And we thank you for that, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lastly, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered to him before, and you want to make him Lord of your life, to take his yoke upon you so that your soul will find rest. Receive him as your Savior. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Second of all, if you're here and you say, Rick, I've done that, but honestly, man, I've gotten off track and I'm not where I used to be or where I need to be. And I, I want to get back to the place that I was. Can I? Yes, you can. You say, well, how do you know? Because I've been you. I've gotten off track before too. I know what that's like. But I can tell you from experience that if you truly recommit your life to him, that he'll restore your joy. So if you want to rededicate your life, I want to pray for you. And then lastly, if you're here and you say, you know, sometimes I struggle with, am I really saved? And all this doubt fills my mind. I'd like to leave with just a confidence tonight knowing that I'm his. Well, I want that for you as well. So if that's you, I want to pray for you. So for any one of those things, whether to give your life to Jesus for the very first time or to rededicate your life to him or just to leave here knowing that you're his, if that's you on any one of those three things with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? I want to pray for you. Just keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray for you. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for each person that's raised their hand. I thank you, Father, that you love them. I pray that in this moment, that if they're receiving you for the first time, that they would become a new creature in Christ, that old things would pass away and all things would become new. And Father, if they're rededicating their life, I thank you that you'll restore the joy of their salvation, that they would leave here, Father, reconnected to the plan and purpose of God, forgiven, free of shame, free of guilt, no condemnation forgiven and restored and Father if, they're, if they just want that assurance I pray when they leave here they'll know they're yours not because they feel like it because some days I don't feel like it and not because they act like it because some days I don't act like it but they'll know they're yours because you said whoever calls on Jesus will be saved so our confidence is not in how good we feel it's certainly not in how good we are it's what Jesus has done and what you promise and that's enough and so we thank you for that in Jesus name now, I prayed for you, and that's good. We should pray for each other. But because God wants a relationship with you, Jesus didn't come to earth because humanity needed another religion. He came so you could have a relationship with him. And in a relationship, you and the Father talk. So I want to lead you in a prayer, and I'm going to ask everybody to repeat after me. But if you raise your hand, you make this yours. But we're going to all say this to encourage you. So let's all say this. Say, Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Jesus. I surrender my will to yours. Jesus, I declare you as my Lord now. I receive you as my Savior now. Thank you for dying on the cross for all my sins. And I believe with all my heart that you were raised from the dead so I could be forgiven call upon you now and ask you to forgive me and to live in me. And I thank you for forgiving me 
and saving me and loving me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Isn't that awesome? Pastor Sean. Thanks, Pastor Rick.